Hello and welcome. This is Search for Truth and we're continuing to study the Gospel of Mark today in your Bible study time with Brian Johnston. Many thanks for joining us. It's lovely to have you with us. And Brian's study today is called The Changing of an Era. I think it's something to do with Jews and non-Jews or the Gentiles as the New Testament calls them. It's quite a change anyway and Brian brings it out into the open in our study in Mark chapter 7 and 8. Anyway, here's Brian. Thanks, John. No doubt you've seen those pairs of pictures found in puzzle books, mainly for children, I think. They're almost identical, but there are some very subtle differences. And the name of the game is to find those tiny differences. It's an exercise in keen observation. Bearing that in mind, I want to pose a spot-the-difference kind of question. What's the difference between the large-scale feeding Mark describes for us in chapter 6 of his Gospel and the one he later describes in chapter 8? Yes, I know, you'll tell me one featured 5,000 men and the other 4,000 persons. In the former, we read of five loaves, while it was seven in the latter one, and so on, including the different number of baskets of fragments gathered up at the end. But that actually misses the point. Mark has written the shortest gospel of all. He doesn't detail the long speeches Jesus made. His writing is full of action. He keeps the pace up, frequently using the term immediately or straightway, as in the older versions. Mark's writing style is very much to the point. There was an abundance of material to draw on from the life of the Lord Jesus. As one of the other gospel writers, John, tells us, Mark was therefore being highly selective, and yet he includes two, on the face of it, very similar miracles performed by Jesus. Would it not seem to us to be the obvious economy to make, to let one recorded large-scale feeding miracle suffice to make the point that Jesus could do this kind of thing? To sum up, why include two stories about large numbers of people being fed? This is obviously deliberate, it's clearly by design, it's making a point, but what point? As always, the context gives us a vital clue and opens up some really important teaching. The first thing to notice is that Jesus is now journeying through Gentile areas. He goes to Tyre in verse 24 of Mark 7 and then on to Decapolis. Later we read that Jesus went back to Dalmanutha. That's when we get to Mark chapter 8 and verse 10. Dalmanutha was back on the Jewish side of the lake again. Just before that return to the Jewish area, Mark, in his write-up of the feeding of the 4,000, uses a different word for basket, different from the earlier mention of basket in relation to the feeding of the 5,000. Now, could that be because Gentiles use a different kind of basket from Jews? Anyway, in the last paragraph of chapter 7 and in the first paragraph of chapter 8, Mark sketches for us three incidents in Gentile territory. We begin our review with the exorcism found in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, until the end of the chapter. Is this just yet another exorcism? No. We get, in fact, three mentions of Gentileness in connection with it. First, we are informed that Jesus had come to the region of Tyre. It was while he was there a woman came to meet him. Mark says the woman was a Gentile. And then he adds she was of the Syrophoenician race. 
This repetition, surely for emphasis, sends the hidden message. This was someone who wasn't entitled to anything from God, but by grace could be included. It can hardly be doubted that the subtext here is, Jesus is willing to accept anyone who wants to trust him. It doesn't matter who you are, no matter how bad, or even simply if you don't come from a Christian family, we can all be like this woman and bring our need to Jesus, begging him to help us. Later in the Bible, the Apostle Paul will remind Gentile Christians, you were separate, excluded, strangers, having no hope and without God in the world. Yes, Mark's making an important point here. For the Jews thought the Gentiles weren't clean. They thought that God had no interest in them. I wonder, do we look down on some people? Remember how Jonah did that and how God had to teach him a lesson. It's true, Jesus didn't go looking for Gentile people as that was not his mission. God's salvation was to the Jew first and Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I've just mentioned sheep there in relation to the Jews. But the Jews sometimes called the Gentiles dogs. Sounds unkind, doesn't it? But Jesus is never rude, and he takes up that terminology here in conversation with this begging Gentile woman who wants Jesus to exorcise the demon, that is, the unclean spirit, from her daughter. Is it possible that Jesus was testing her, in effect saying to her, you know what the Jews think of you, So why have you come to me? If so, Jesus only wants to bring her faith out into the open. As Mark records this meeting between Jesus and the Gentile mother, it may strike us as an awkward exchange. It goes something like this. Please heal my daughter. Then Jesus says, why should I give you food? Then there's talk of mere crumbs. She's not offended. She was more than happy with scraps, it would seem. And Jesus is impressed. This is all foreign to our 21st century Western sense of entitlement, isn't it? We get inclusiveness drummed into us, along with the idea that everyone has rights, even equal rights. Mark wants us to register the point here. God doesn't owe us anything. Shame on us if we thought God owed us anything. The woman is desperate. She doesn't even wait for Jesus to come out of the house. She enters in. Jesus had wanted to be alone with his disciples, but still, he didn't tell her to go away. Jesus always has time for people who need him. For her part, the woman is humble. She doesn't mind when Jesus refers to dogs, and to her, by association. She doesn't shoot back, I'm as good as any Jew. She knows she doesn't deserve anything from Jesus. Rather, she begs Jesus. She doesn't say, perhaps you can help me. She knows Jesus can drive out the demon, and so she keeps on asking. When Jesus tests her faith, she doesn't give up. She doesn't mind being a dog if she can have the crumbs from the table. She accepts what Jesus says. She's happy to go home because she trusts Jesus and expects to find her daughter now well. Remember, The disciples are watching Jesus. They've not often seen Jews behave like this. But this Gentile woman really believes. Well, the second incident that Mark records for us as having taken place in Gentile territory is a miraculous feeding. 
With the woman, as we've just heard, there was talk of crumbs. Now there's mention of much more than crumbs. In fact, it's a banquet. How often we ask God for crumbs and we receive a banquet. Across the three chapters of Mark 6, 7 and 8, we read, All ate and were satisfied. Then we read, Let the children be satisfied. And finally we read, They ate and were satisfied. Only God can satisfy. Remember, John in his Gospel, when presenting the feeding of the 5,000, presents it as a sign that Jesus alone can satisfy the spiritual hunger of each and every human heart. Let's be clear, God's Old Testament purposes were not ethnically all-inclusive. Israel were the favoured nation back then. Back at this point in his Gospel, Mark is indicating that a change is coming. It's a momentous change. The first indication of this breaking news was in Mark chapter 7 and verse 19, when the comment was added that Jesus had declared all foods clean. It would no longer be a restricted kosher menu. The same message was reinforced to the Apostle Peter to prepare him for his first preaching contact with Gentiles. What happened with Peter at Caesarea in Acts chapter 10 has often been termed a Gentile Pentecost, after the Jewish Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended in Acts chapter 2. Anyway, coming back to Mark's Gospel, this is a vital section, because otherwise nothing previous would apply to any of us reading this text as Gentiles. This is the breaking news that the introduction of the King, the announcement of the Kingdom, and the demonstration of its authority are all, in fact, very relevant to us Gentiles, as well as to Jews. Jesus shows the same love for these Gentile people as for his own people. He cares just as much that they're hungry. He feeds 4,000 Gentiles in the same way as he fed 5,000 Jewish people in Mark chapter 6. Imagine what the disciples thought of this. Remember, they didn't respect Gentiles. They thought God only cared about Jews, that he was exclusively pro-Semitic. After the feeding of the 4,000, the third miracle in this sequence features a deaf man. He's probably also a Gentile, based on the context. This was a miracle with a message. The disciples were deaf in another sense. We too need Jesus to open our ears so that we can believe, and we need Jesus to open our mouths so that we can tell people about him. Why does Jesus make this miracle seem harder? Is it because Jesus sees people, and even his own disciples, as being like this man? They're deaf to God's truth. Whenever he asks them not to tell others about him, it's because Jesus didn't want them to give the wrong message about him. He's not just the man who does miracles. Not even his disciples know the full story yet. The man at the centre of this third Gentile miracle that we're talking about can't hear. So Jesus uses sign language he does things that the man can see. He puts his fingers in the man's ear and touches his tongue. This would clearly show his intention to heal. Next, Jesus looks up to heaven, possibly communicating to the man that he needs God's miracle. In fact, we all need God's miracle. It's not enough to hear about Jesus. We need Jesus to open our ears so we can understand. And later, we need Jesus to open our mouths so we can tell people about who he is. A final thought about the feeding of the 4,000. Many people liked the miracle, but they didn't see who Jesus was. 
They didn't think, if Jesus makes bread and fish for us, he must be God. They didn't follow Jesus, they just went home. Is that not a bit like those today who applaud the good fortune that all the conditions for life were coincidentally met on this tiny planet? That this just right quality of our planet was a freak cosmic accident is taken for granted. A shrug of the shoulders and they get on with life. Forget about God. Let's not be like that. Once again, I'd like to remind you that there's a book which contains all the transcripts of the talks in this series, and it's available on request. If you'd like a copy, just write in by post or email. We'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today. I'll give you the contact details in a moment, if you've a pen and paper to hand, but the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. Anyway, to obtain the book, simply ask for Take Your Marks Gospel and you can ask for it by email or by post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info so, I hope you learned something from today's talk, found it helpful. Please join us again next week, if you can, for a further study in Mark's Gospel. Until then, it's cheerio and very best wishes from Brian, David and me, John. So may God richly bless you. Bless the